Hey everybody, thank you so much for listening to the Legendarium Podcast. Make sure you take a minute to subscribe to us on iTunes and now on Stitcher Radio. Like us on Facebook and check out our fantastic website at thelegendariumpodcast.com. Welcome to the Legendarium. A couple of our major driving questions on the Legendarium are why we humans tell each other stories and what good do those stories do for us? So today we're talking with Matt Woolley, a clinical psychologist, about the value of classic fairy tales, dark though they may be. Ryan, welcome back. Thank you. I have missed you so much. I know. Yeah. During the week, it's just, it gets hard sometimes. Can you come here? I need to rub your hair. And it's now creepy. <laughs> um, uh, let's see. This week, I'm actually very, very excited for our topic this week. Um, I've been looking forward to this since FantasyCon, uh, but we'll get to that in a second. A couple of housekeeping items. Um, speaking of the word con, uh, Comic-Con is coming up in just a few weeks. Yes. Uh, anybody else in Utah conned out? Not me, actually. I'm... I feel ready for this one. What I really you? feel like we need to insert a William Shatner screaming con right now. We've just we've already said the word like twelve times, <laughs> and we're like not even two minutes in. Can we do Can we do side by side William Shatner and Zachary Quinto? No, no, we can't. Okay. I, I'd I veto that. All right. Um, anyway, you and I, Ryan, we will be at Comic Con. Uh, any of our actual listeners who actually listen through actually all of every episode will know that already. Because we announced that last week. But for anybody else who just listens to the beginning, uh, because you're a jerk, uh, we will be at Comic-Con. You're not a jerk. Your time is very valuable and we appreciate it. (laughs) Not as valuable as mine, though. Uh, We'll be at Comic-Con September 4th, 5th, and 6th. Uh, We'll be covering it all three days. And on the 6th, we'll actually be live podcasting from Comic-Con. Yet to be determined from which room, but it will be Saturday the 6th at 1 p.m. Subject to change. We'll have our powerful brain trust of geeks with us here to do, to do that. It's going to be a ton of fun. Yeah. Uh, speaking of brain trust of geeks, actually, um, we are going to be switching gears here. We've done the Lord of the Rings to death, and we're going to be doing Mistborn next. Again, it, you know, some of you may already know this, but I want to make sure that everybody does. Uh, Mistborn will be our next kind of book clubbish book. Ryan and I are both huge fans of it already, uh, and so it's not going to be very interesting for us to talk about reading it for the sixth time but both todd and ken um who have been frequent guests on the legendary have never read uh mistborn so you and i are going to initiate them yes it will be so nice to not be the one on the end of the trivia that's just getting hammered every week (laughs) (laughs) they're so screwed um all right well we ready to dive in or is there anything else that you wanted to say no i think we're good Okay. I think I'm I'm excited about this. Okay, yeah, me too. So let's uh let's bring our guest into the conversation. Why don't you introduce yourself for us? Uh hey, well thanks for having me. First of all, I've been distracted here while you guys are chatting with all the cool things in your studio. We call <laughs> it the nerdery. Uh yeah, it's awesome. Uh trying to read all the book titles on the shelf from afar. Anyway, very cool stuff. Um thanks for having me. I'm Matt Woolley. I'm a clinical psychologist and uh professor at the University of Utah. And we met, uh, Craig and I met when you um, moderated a panel that I did uh, at FantasyCon. We use that so term loosely. So we used Con again. <laughs> what? Which one? Con Mod- or moderated? moderated. <laughs> no, you did, you, you did a great job. I'm easily distracted, so you kept me on by asking some key questions at important moments, I think. Well, I was... I was- 
fascinated by what you had to say. Um, I really enjoyed it. it the, t- the topic of the one that I moderated was a little bit different from what we were oh, doing that, today. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. We did one. It was called Comic Books Are Good for Kids' Brains or something yeah, like that. Yeah, and if we're not careful, I'll just go right off on that topic. But how comic books are a fantastic source of literacy. And actually, I use them. I am in the uh, child adolescent department uh, uh, of psychiatry and uh, do a lot of assessment of neurodevelopmental problems, including reading problems. And a lot of kids who get a diagnosis of a reading disorder or dyslexia end up leaving my office with a list of certain types of comics that they're supposed to go get and read (laughs) um, for various reasons. And their parents go, we paid you for what? I know, right? They're like, man, we're not going back to that guy. Um, But no, I I think parents actually kind of get it when I explain it. So yeah, that was a lot of fun. And then you came and uh, I, I caught my the, panel the next day. Yeah, so this yeah. is the one we're doing today. Now, the the comic book one, I I would love at some point to bring you on for that as well. Yeah, um, let's do it. It's a passion. I talk about it quite a bit. Um, but I, uh, but this yeah. one is a little different. So this one, I, I only caught the tail end of that uh, panel that you held, but it's called uh, it at, at FantasyCon. It was called Fairy Tales: The Darker the Better. Yeah, we're trying to have a provocative title you know is but that it, is that it, accurate to what you yeah, want to convey well, yeah. i mean of course there are limits but um <laughs> you know uh for sure because the idea is that uh original kind of uh grim or perot or um uh hans christian anderson those kind of classic fairy tales are not being read as often for various reasons one of which is uh they've kind of gotten this rap as too scary you know they're just too scary they're they're not appropriate for children which is ridiculous, and that's uh, one of my passions also, are literacy and development in children and the psychological and developmental um, value of fairy tales is enormous. It's very psychologically deep, um, especially for children and adolescents because they're at a developmental time when um, they're not able to describe what their thoughts, needs, and feelings are all the time. So they work those things out through play, through fantasy, which you guys know a lot about, and uh, things like reading and stories. So comics and fairy tales and fantasy and superheroes, all that fits in there. And we really shouldn't deny those things to kids or water them down. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, I was, I was uh, actually a little bit shocked. I've read all of these, you know, Grimm's and Hans Christian Andersen fairy right. tales and it, from when I was a kid. Cool. My mom had them around. But I hadn't. I realized I hadn't really read most of them since I was what nine, maybe eight. Well, that's seven cool that you read old. them at all. Because how old are you? You're like eighteen, right? Something like, like that. No, no, I'm just kidding. Because <laughs> I'm the old guy in the room. But I mean, a lot of guys uh, your ages haven't even read them. Like you're ahead of a lot of guys your age. Well, or the versions they read were kind of like the you know the. And I'm not down on Disney to be to be perfectly out there. I, I like Disney. We enjoy it. We go way too often, but I enjoy it. Uh, and, and what Disney has done originally was great, but a lot of what we get is a, we'll just use that term Disneyified, kind of watered down, brief, kind of Hansel and Gretel sort of stuff, misses all that great psychological developmental value. And so most people our age are like, oh yeah, you know, I know Cinderella, it's a story for girls. Or yeah, I know, you know, Hansel and Gretel, that's for little kids. But if you read the original versions... It touches you a little bit deeper. Yeah. So you went back and read them? I, I did. It, in the last couple of days, Ryan, did you go back and read any of them? Yeah, actually, for me, uh, my with the my exposure to most of these fairy tales actually did come through Disney in our Wait, home. Wait, shocking. Yeah. As an American? Yeah. Uh, in our home, Disney is a sacred name. And if my wife heard anyone talking bad about <laughs> Disney, she might 
you know, break into the I'm podcast. An, I'm an Orange County kid. I grew up down there uh, for, for the first part of my life. So I love Disney. We really do. Um, and actually, uh, I made notes. This We went, of course, this year. We I think we go every year. And uh, if you go through Fantasyland mm-hmm. and you really take in as an adult now what you're doing when you go on Mr. Toad's Wild Ride, where does he go? He goes through hell. Actually, he goes to hell. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, and if you if you like Pinocchio and all of these great Fantasyland rides, if you really sit and go through it and remember what it was like when you were a kid going through there, it really sucked you in. I remember going on Pinocchio when I was a kid and just being just enthralled and connected with the whole experience and walking out feeling you know this this fantasy world that I had just experienced. So original Disney stuff is fantastic. A lot of what they do now is great too. Um, but unfortunately, to mass produce, they've they changed a lot of things. Yeah, and to be honest, there are some things in like, um, you know, like Snow White that uh, and Sleeping Beauty. Sleeping Beauty in some of the original versions, uh, you know, is is uh, raped, right? Basically, mm-hmm. yeah. So we probably don't want that in the Disney version. But uh, Disney has done a great job in getting the word out there. I think unfortunately, parents then feel like that's. That's all those stories are. But so way, they forget to read anything more. Do you know how I know that you're a lecturing professor? <laughs> how? Because you say Snow White. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, that's been, uh, yeah, that's, yeah, I've been, well, I do, I've done a lot of radio in the past, and for some reason people enjoyed uh, emailing me about that. I'm like, well, I don't know, you know, so. Well, yeah. I noticed. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, as I was saying, what, five minutes ago? Um, I was shocked when I went back in the last few days and read a few of these classic fairy tales that, yeah, just how yeah. kind of violent uh, and, and dark they are. So, for instance, um, The Little Mermaid, that's a Hans Christian Andersen story. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. If she, if you are familiar with the Disney version, if she fails in her mission to make the prince fall in love with her, she turns back into a fish and goes back to her wonderful life as a princess. And, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, it's, not, too it's bad. Not, not such a bad deal after all. Um, but in the Hans Christian Andersen version, she's going to die. Right. And, and also, by the way, while you're trying to fulfill your mission, if you, uh, while you're walking around with these brand new beautiful feet, every time you take a step, it'll feel like shards of glass, yeah. you know, puncturing your, the soles of your feet. Uh, so have fun Motivation with to, uh, Good to luck. finish the, the mission. Yeah. And then she doesn't. And so what does she do? Eh, I'm going to go kill myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Good stuff. You Not know, the Disney version. So, it, and and the same thing is repeated with with uh, Grimm's uh, Hans Christian Andersen and uh, or sorry, yeah, Grimm's uh, yeah. Hansel and Gretel is what I meant yeah, to say. Yeah. Well, and that's that's the one that I highlighted at at FantasyCon. We can talk about it today. It's a great one actually because it touches on both the the I I don't use this term, but the, you used it. So the violence, and I'll explain why I don't really use that term with these stories. And uh, the, so the scary nature, the violent nature. Um, there's a lot of psychological drama there, as well as uh, feminism, because that's another reason that, uh, that we're turning original away. fairy tales have been much maligned over the last, uh, I don't know, 20, 30 years. I mean, it, just every decade, I think they're being read and printed and produced less and less often in, in those original versions. But along those lines, maybe um, I can... So so I don't know this guy. His name's Gerard Jones. Um, so I'll plug his book Oh, sure, anyway. Gerard. Yeah, yeah, you know him? No, I don't. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Dang, I was hoping you knew him. Um, no, he's a really interesting guy. He's, he's, he's a former comic book artist and writer, educator, and he's written a book that I think all parents ought to read. 
uh, quite honestly. And anybody who knows me, I'm not one of those psychologists is always like, oh, read this book, read that book. Because to be honest, as a kid, I was such a slow reader that I didn't read a whole lot. And the first book I ever read was, are you listening to my lecture? The Hobbit. Yep. All the way through. <laughs> Come on. No, it's true. And uh, so I don't, I don't want to waste people's time because I think I'm sensitive about how long it takes. I used to measure the weight of books. Like, which one's heavier? I'll read the lightest one. Um, but now I read a lot of books, but I don't want to waste people's time. But this is a great book uh, for anybody who's a parent. It's called Killing Monsters by Gerard Jones. And the cool thing oh, about... You, yeah, you, yeah. Is this the one you brought with you? I brought a bunch of them, and I'm sure that was okay. one of them. Yeah, definitely. And the reason that it's interesting is because he goes through and he talks about this issue of violence and scary natures in, in all of our media. He talks a lot about comics and, and movies and video games. Um, but the idea is that we as parents are very sensitive, of course, to wanting to take care of our, our children and make sure that, you know, they're safe and all these things. Um, and he talks about how through interviews with educators and psychologists and other folks, he's realized that we're, we're interpreting these, this fantasy violence as scary and violent to the child. When in fact the child is connected to it in a different way, it's it's what it's meant to be, like the hero's journey. They're overcoming uh, obstacles through the connection through fantasy and story, that will later be deeply embedded in them to uh, motivate and empower them in their lives later to overcome their own demons, fight their own so, battles. And so we get overly sensitive about this violence. And interestingly enough, if you look at other research, when you show a kid a fairly intense but fantasy-based movie of violence and aggression, fighting. That you know, if they hook them up to you know wires and skin response and all that stuff, kids are pretty good. They're okay. They're into it. You show them something much more mild, like two people really fighting, not not fake fighting, but you know, news footage of two people hurting each other, but without but in, weapons. But in real life, it's very disturbing to children. So interestingly enough, children do seem to have a very um, acute sense of the difference between actual violence and fantasy violence, they connect to those two things differently. And maybe there's something to the idea of um, they, you know, they understand that the violence, like you said, it's an obstacle. It's not like, oh, I see this violence. I must go do it myself. They right, understand that right, in this right. story, the violence is not a good thing. And the whole yeah. idea is overcoming it and getting past it to yeah. the happy ending. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, and, you know, what happens, you know, kids watch uh, Lord of the Rings. Like, we were joking uh, before we started recording because you have Sting on your wall. And uh, everybody know, listens to podcasts know what I'm talking about. Right? Uh, yeah, I would think so. Okay. <laughs> and we just did this 25-mile uh, backpacking trip. And my 13-year-old, we get, like, up at 11,000 feet. And out of his backpack, he pulls Sting. <laughs> you know, he's got it out there. You know, he's, <laughs> This is a kid that I need to know. Yeah, he's a cool guy. And, um, you know, those connections, I mean, I had no idea he was packing Sting with him on our, you know, backpacking trip. But that was important to him because in my house – you grow up with a lot of stories and movies that have to do with violence and fairy tales and, uh, you know, all these sorts of things where there's a journey, there's a hero's uh, obstacle to overcome that uh, I think is very valuable to kids. Yeah. Ryan, you grew up in a, in a fairy tale household. I mean, Disney, granted, but I mean, you grew up with fantasy books and whatnot and violence and... You you even took karate for a long time as a kid, right? Yes. I, you ever uh, you ever beat anybody to a, a bloody pole? Um, well, considering up until about 
five years ago, well, not five years ago, you know, about 10 years ago, I weighed 115 pounds. No, <laughs> I didn't beat anybody up. But um, anyway, no, it's just, I guess my point is I grew up the same way and I, you know, I loved the Ninja Turtles and Power Rangers and I loved, um, you know, some of this fantasy stuff that my mom kind of uh, hooked me on when I was a kid. And I, and I never felt that, uh, you know, that violent impulse. Well, you went outside so probably and played, right? I mean, I've got scars that might prove otherwise on you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We played pretty violently together, but we were playing. Yeah. yeah. But, um, it, I, I think I'll just play my own devil's advocate for a second. Now, in reality, in the job that I do as a psychologist working with kids and adolescents a lot, uh, we have to accept the fact that uh, adolescent, at least, violence has uh, created a, a very negative impact on our society with school shootings and things like that. So I want listeners to understand I don't overlook anything like that. There are much different and deeper psychological explanations for why an adolescent would go and do something like that. And, um, you know, contrary to popular belief, it's very, very difficult to prove that that was caused by any form of media. Now, I know that these, there are people that disagree, and so we take it very seriously, but the fact of the matter is um, we would have a very different society if the fantasy movies, books, and video games and stories that people were reading were directly causing this sort of true violent behavior in our society. Now, that's a it's a big problem. Uh, there are a lot of good people working on trying to understand it better. Um, I think that people who produce things like video games and movies, um, maybe via things like uh, rating systems and full disclosure, ought to be responsible so that parents can know what they are buying and exposing their kids to. And, and as a parent, in the end, we make our own decisions for our kids. However, fairy tales and these things that have been around for hundreds of years kind of get lumped in there. And I've always been concerned about that. Yeah. Well, there's something that my family used to do um, that I find kind of interesting. Ritual We're, sacrifice. Well, Yeah, that is it. Tell us more about it. <laughs> <laughs> they had a tendency to uh, – well, we had a rule of – as, as kids, no R-rated movies, but there were some R-rated movies that we saw. Um, they were concerned about violence and swearing and things like that. And I believe that there is a gradation of being able to say, okay, you're old enough to realize what's going right. on here. I mean, I'm not saying, you know, show your two-year-old, you know, don't get your two-year-old hook on Criminal Minds. Fight but, Club, yeah. Yeah. Um, but, no, that's probably okay. Yeah, yeah <laughs> I, I love Fight that, Club. Yeah, sure. there, were, there, was, there were a few movies. Um, I can think of Glory. Uh, a few other my films. dad my dad made value, me see yeah. saving private ryan when i was like 16 where yeah, 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 where definitely. this where the story or mm -hmm. something that was being taught was worth the risk of seeing a little more violence and there was there was a conversation that was had to help offset that you know any concerns and right. i believe that if these stories have a very valuable uh ability to teach and to uh, help us to understand a little bit more of some of those things that you know we, we feel inside yeah. or think and if there's an open conversation going on, that's, you know, you might be more inclined to allow your, your you know, kid to understand the non-Disney version of, you know, of, Hansel and Gretel, Cinderella, right, things right. like that. No, no. I, I think your parents uh, are probably doing what I'm recommending parents do, and that is not be all or nothing. For example, this is such a uh, – it's interesting you brought up the ratings thing. Um, I do um, KUTV Fresh Living. There's a plug. Uh, <laughs> uh, here in town uh, every other week. And that's the topic they wanted this week was to talk about, like, how do parents determine 
ratings, you know, like should you just be blanket, you know, if you're 12 and a half, you can't see a PG-13 movie or is there a better way to look at that? And I think your parents were ahead of the, their their time uh, in talking about, yeah, we should be involved in what the kids are watching, reading, listening to as parents. That's the number one. Number two, the ratings are a pretty good place to start. And I think most, you know, R-rated movies are rated that way for a reason. But earlier this year, I took um, my 11, 13, and, and 15-year-old to um, uh, Lone Survivor. Mm-hmm. And the reason was that w- there's been a lot of discussion in their lives growing up about the war in Afghanistan and Iraq and what's it like. And um, I wanted them to have a firsthand. So my wife and I went and saw it first. And then we came back and talked about it. So, yeah, I think the boys really should see this. So we talked about the story and what it was about and what they were doing over there. And then we went and saw it and talked about it afterward. And I felt like it was very worthwhile. Mm-hmm. There's no Saving Private Ryan, but it was a pretty good film. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I got a question for you. Uh, there's this idea of, of uh, the darker the better. And, yeah, and yeah. like you said, there's limits to that, and, and I acknowledge that. But – what would uh, what do these fairy tales? Um, what do you feel like is the what what was the damage done to kids or to the culture or something by taking these elements out? Um, oh, that's a good way to look at it. That's do you know way. what I'm saying? Yeah. So, so like, instead of saying what's the good thing, why, why is the violence why good? It? Why mm-hmm. is it bad that it's not there? Um. So that's back to my comment earlier where I hesitate to use the word violence. Mm -hmm. Violence uh, has a specific connotation. There's no real value to that word in our society. I think of it in kind of an emotional violence even. Right. uh, Things are very tumultuous in these stories. Yeah, no, I mean – thank you for softening it. But um, that's (laughs) that's the way I would say there there are – uh, aggressive and violent interactions and stories, like if you read the original Little Red Riding Hood, things don't turn out as well as they do in the cartoon version. Um, Hansel and Gretel, uh, those sorts of things. When we take those things away, we limit, we reduce a child's ability to have one more teaching and developmental tool in their lives to grow their own personal resilience if you think of it as a muscle, it's a muscle that's not going to get worked out as easily. We've taken that away, and they have to find other ways to learn to be resilient, understand their own um, journey in life, and have the strength to um, overcome obstacles. I mean, the funny thing is, I think, uh, you know... Or to it, handle problems. Handle problems, yes, there I'm you go. I'm just looking at your slide. Uh, thank you. Um, <laughs> I, I do have some notes up here. So I'm your moderator. i got to keep you on track. Perfect, yeah. As you derail this conversation. <laughs> That's all right. Um, Oops. Well, the thing, the thing is, uh, you know, it's people. So you have to buy into something, I guess. So let's, let's go there for a second. Uh, that's why I'm kind of stumbling. Some people may not agree with me, and that's okay. I know I'm right. So um, that's a joke. There's no laugh track. Um, we but can have that. You, you, yes. don't, you don't know that. Yeah. You know, there may be later. Um, no. Th- uh, we have a psychological, just like you have physical development, you have psychological and emotional development, right? And there are stages of that development. There are also stages of that psychological and emotional development that go along with brain development, our ability to understand things in a abstract, logical way. Children, until they're about 10 or 11, are not really developing on a regular basis their ability to understand abstract logic. What I mean by that is their ability to think about their own thinking, take another person's point of view, that sort of thing. 
So prior meta. to that age, <laughs> what's that? Meta. Meta. There meta you go. Thinking. Yes, exactly. Uh, prior to that age, how do we get in then and work with children or what is their normal development like? And you know, there have been a lot of child and other uh, professionals that have looked into uh, that sort of development. One thing we know for sure is how do kids express their emotions? If you sit a an eight-year-old down and they're having a hard time at school with friends and you say, okay, uh, tell me about da-da-da-da-da, what you're going to get is just the behavior. They'll, they, they'll be able to describe what happened. But beyond that, motivations, understanding why this happened, you know, what they should do about it, all of that gets lost in, the, in this kind of um, conversation that requires abstract logic. But if you talk a little bit about it and then say, hey, you know, why don't we draw some pictures? And you let the kid draw some pictures or let them kind of free play with their toys or see what book they go to. Now we're, we're speaking that kid's language. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So in those early, and it's a lot of developmental time. I mean, physically, how much development happens from preschool till puberty? I mean, they don't really look the same anymore. There's a ton of physical development. There's at least as much psychological and emotional development happening in those times. So how do we teach them? Do, should we just tell them things uh, in an in a abstract, logical way that they're not going to get? Well, we do that. I mean, I mean, can you imagine having your dad be a shrink? I mean, I'm always like over-explaining things to the kids. And my wife's like, oh, geez. But, um, so I have to take my own advice on that. One of the best ways to teach kids um, to understand where they're at and to teach them life lessons is through fantasy and play. Uh, play is a great way to do it. You let the kids get out there. That's the point of Gerard Jones's book. Let them get out there and sort fight and play cops and robbers and good guys and bad guys. What are they doing? Why do they want to play that so badly? What do you think? I mean, uh, I think I saw at least one kid hanging around here. So you guys know about kids. Yeah. Well, <laughs> what, I mean, what, what are they doing? Are they just, as you said, turning I was very recently thugs? one myself, right? Yeah. Um, I'm sorry. That was rude. I was just joking. <laughs> I was, it was about me. That was a, That was an inverse joke let's let's not over explain what's going my on. wife had commented on how gray my hair is getting this week so I, <laughs> i'm feeling sensitive um, about it well I, I i don't know why why did we end up playing these things for me it was because i i wanted to play ninja warrior with ryan because we had these fake wooden swords and i wanted to beat the tar out of him with it man did, did you hate ryan is that no, what we're gonna we're gonna open up a huge uh, <laughs> i'm gonna have a psych session here a, a, you know, a therapy session. i'm very excited so there's there's two things I want to bring up here. First is I, I do a lot of acting, and I took a course called The Art of Play um, when I was in school, and I it's one of my favorite courses I've ever taken um, in terms of performance because it was about getting back to being able to play as a child and explore as a child because it's the most raw and pure form of understanding because uh, it's you're it's experiencing cool. what's going on. Um, and that's one of the things that inhibits a lot of performers nowadays is the fact that in our mind, we know there's always something in our mind that knows this is not real. It's like, it just hold that thought. My earlier today, my wife was looking at our little 13 month old son and, and just saying, isn't it amazing how in the moment he can be? Yeah. He's not, he's not in anybody else's mindset. He's not worrying about any of his surroundings other than, Ooh, there's a door I can go open and shut, you know? <laughs> So maybe is that kind of what you're talking yeah, about? Yeah, it's very much what what's happening then is the reality. And when they're playing and they're using their imagination or whatever, whatever's going on right then is the reality. It's why theme parks like Disneyland, it's why places like that, you know, work so well for children. You know, to them it's not a person in a suit. Yeah, we know, it's cute, whatever. But to them it's not. That's Mickey Mouse. 
And to me, that's, you know, getting back to that when I perform and being able to be in that moment and to, to remember that I am playing. It's not just a performance or work thing. It's I am playing. It makes a big difference for me. So, and, I, and I wonder what that does for us because, you know, that's so that's kind of immersive stuff. But I remember when I was playing, I, I would run around our newly developed neighborhood and we had, you know, houses were being built and there were pits to run around in and nails poking out of the walls and everything. And, awesome. And we'd play cops and robbers. And mm. it wasn't that I thought that I was a cop or mm. that my buddy was a robber. Uh, so maybe what we were getting out of it was something else, not the immersive aspect of it, but just that learning of, of uh, you know, I'd, I'd much rather be the good guy. Well, because and, 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 and then I'm doing the chasing, not being the chased. This is where the this is where my therapy session really starts here. Yeah. Okay, let's get um, into it. <laughs> is at, growing up as as Craig is well aware, um, I was the child in class that got got shunned and picked on a lot for various reasons. Uh, some believed to be deserved and some not so much um and for never by me though never no not at all no uh but for me being able to play in fantasy one of the reasons why i took to star wars and why i took to these other things so much is when i got to play those things i got to be something that i wasn't when i was in reality you know i was a rebel you know i was i was part of the rebel alliance i was going to take down the empire you know, when I'm when I'm being a you know when I was sword fighting things like that, I got to be the hero that uh, this scrawny little kid that got picked on didn't get to be, and I needed that outlet that that to be the reality that I wished it were. Mm-hmm. You know, I still do that all the time. I still, you know, I walk. We down play the, video games, right? Well, not even video games. I, you know, I'll walk down the street and I'll, you know, I'll see something. One of my favorite things is actually a, a picture I saw. It's a guy walking on the street and there's a bird that's flying there and their shadow. If you look on the shadow on the back wall. The guy's got a sword and a shield, and the bird's shadow is a dragon. Oh, yeah, sure. And it says, the world in my head is much more interesting than the world that I live in. Oh, gosh, ain't that the truth. And I absolutely love that. It's one of my favorite things, because I do that all the time. I'm walking along, and I'm envisioning, you know, some incredible thing that's about to happen in this room. You know, Ninja's going to come flying through the window, and how am I going to take him down? And what am I going to (laughs) do? I do that to this day still, and I think it's mostly to be, to fill in that, that, I want to do something or I want yeah. to be something that I'm not. Either that or you're just horribly, horribly stunted. It's entirely possible. <laughs> <laughs> no way. That's cool. I mean, I, I, the the therapeutic uh, vibe here in the room is palpable right now. I mean, that's good. That's an epiphany. Uh, we would be airing our grievances, but we close all the doors and windows in here, so there's nowhere for them there's to go. No <laughs> to go, yeah. I'll just Sorry, take those we'll back here. in them, right. No, that's, I mean, that's perfect. That was a wonderful explanation. And in in your case, um, and probably most of us have a similar experience um, at times or pervasively, unfortunately, often throughout childhood. But regardless, childhood is a time of overcoming and growing and feeling empowered. You need to grow up and feel like I can do it because guess what? What's the other um, phenomenon of our day and age, the failure to launch? You know, the people that aren't going out and conquering the world once they become adults. And why is that? I don't know exactly. It may be different for everybody. But one theory is that some of that development isn't happening at times where the person feels ready to go out and take on the challenges of the world. And uh, many of us as adults still see dragons and enjoy that sort of that part of fantasy. I mean, honestly, you know, um, my kids don't even have to ask to go to the midnight pr- premiere of The Hobbit. You know, it's just it's a given, you know, um, <laughs> because I want them to feel that much freedom to understand and explore these sorts of things. So 
psychological and emotional development has to do with the challenges of the particular age. Um, children have this need to become competent in various ways growing up. So if you look at childhood versus adulthood, in childhood, kids are involved in a lot of different things. They have art classes. They have um, athletic opportunities. They have all sorts of things that they're doing. And each one is an opportunity for them to overcome a challenge in their life. Because when you become an adult, you're much more on your own to decide what challenges to face. But you're going to have them. And do you feel the internal motivation and, and confidence to be able to do that? So things like Star Wars, I mean, you, I, you have no idea how long I could talk to you about Star Wars. I, I <laughs> you're, you're to differ. Yeah. We know exactly how long someone can sit and talk yeah, about I know, Star Wars. I know. <laughs> I mean, you're looking at a guy who went to um, – I, I had a dad I never begged for anything because you just knew you weren't getting – the answer is always going to be no. So I can uh, count on my hand like three times when I truly begged my dad for something. The first one I ever remember was – um, his buddies were like, hey, you know, don't you have a kid? And they're like, he's like, yeah, I have a kid. And they're like, well, we're taking our kids to this uh, this Star Wars movie. Have you heard of that? My dad's like, no, I haven't heard of that. He's like, well, you know, I think your kid would like it. I was, uh, so I was five, five and a half. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm super old, man. And we went uh, there and, and went to Star Wars there in California as a kid. And I remember everything about it. And I was five and a half. And I remember... Uh, begging my dad to go get back in line right after the movie is over. He looked at me like I was crazy. No, we're not doing that. But uh, so the begging didn't pay off. Uh, was never <laughs> rewarded. But, uh, you know, Star Wars is a great example of, of a modern mythology. Everybody knows that. And everybody who knows anything about Star Wars is familiar with Joseph Campbell and kind of this idea of the hero's journey and all these sorts of things. But why is it? I mean, Joseph Campbell's book, uh, Hero with a Thousand Faces, is brilliant, but... He's just kind of synthesizing information that's always been around. He, he was brilliant at bringing that together and helping us see it. But why do these stories keep reoccurring? Why, even though we live in a day and age where fairy tales aren't being read as much, are there new, modern, somewhat lousy versions of things like Hansel and Gretel coming out? Oh man! Did Why, you see that last yeah, time? Yeah, of course. Oh I my did. gosh! Yeah. <laughs> no, it's terrible. I was really, I was really excited for something. It was, it was awful. But, I mean, but why is that even in our psyche anymore? And to me, as a psychologist, it's because these are developmental needs. These are emotional developmental needs. So what you're saying about being a kid feeling, um, you know, picked on and uh, you know maybe physically and emotionally weak, you can get into fantasy and be the hero. Or you can play with the power of being the villain. These are all things that children do. One story I used to tell on the radio, and people, I think, loved it because it's so nerdy, is I remember when we had um, gotten, kind of gone through a rough year, and I remember sitting and trying to choke this chatty girl in class with the force. <laughs> and I, and I, was, I was like, if I believe hard enough, maybe this will work, because you know, she's got to <laughs> shut up. Um, you know, I mean, just having that ability to toy with power and overcoming obstacles uh, is enormously central, not just important, but it's central to childhood development because as adults, we have these challenges that sometimes feel impossible even in, in our adult lives. Amen. There you go. Do you um, want, I don't know what you guys are thinking of for time, but we could walk through an, a great example. I, well, I, what I'd love to do is take, uh, yeah, maybe one particular 
fairy tale. I know that Hansel and Gretel was the one that you went through before. If uh, we could do that, and, I think I think it's a good one, and, uh, and people are familiar with it. Yeah, so maybe we can kind of break that down a little bit and talk about what um, what the changes are, what people might be shocked to learn is in the original version, at least original yeah. to to the Grimm brothers. With the Grimm, and you know, uh, so I think. Um, I accidentally use the term original a lot. I know I did. But it's not. It's It's not original. I mean, what's cool is, um, but they're classics. I think that's a better term is like the classic collections of fairy tales. Um, One thing that people are really shocked to learn about is, uh, I'll just caveat and then I'll get back on track, uh, Cinderella. Now, Cinderella in every major culture um, around the world, there is a traditional version of Cinderella. Native Americans have it. Papua New Guinea, they have one. Uh, of course, we are mostly familiar with the European versions of Cinderella, the, the Germanic versions. Um, uh, but why would that? I mean, they don't all call them Cinderella. That would be bizarre if, you know, in Africa. Uh, but in Africa, they have a version of Cinderella. So why would that be? It's It must be central to the human condition, not just the European condition, right? Absolutely. Something about yeah. it, though I, I'm not educated enough well, to say what that is. They, they have that, that saying, there's only, what, seven stories in the world or whatever they're actually told. You know, and, and or five. All of us have that 36. same, as we've talked about, that developmental need, and I would guess that uh, finding that similar story across the board would right. be, would fit that. Yeah, no, actually, no, you guys are both wrong. It's about losing shoes. Every <laughs> culture, they've lost shoes. No, you're right. No, I, yeah, absolutely. Um, so Cinderella, in our version, a lot of... Uh, people rightfully so get concerned maybe about the overemphasis of her beauty but i think even in the disney version if that's what you took away from it you probably you need to watch it again yeah. um it's it's she is internally uh it's it's her inner beauty it's her inner real self that comes out and is is what wins the day in the end and and you can't stop it nobody can stop it even though her her biological father is gone and this person who should take care of her throws her under the bus and treats her like a slave and these uh peers that should be there for her which are her stepsisters they do the same thing and they treat her poorly um but the uh the fairy godmother is an inner voice really it's just a projection of the fact that hey i can do this if i dig deep i can be more than everyone else is telling me i am because at that point in the story everyone's just telling her that, that she's nothing. And in the, the classic version, what happens is, is there's not a ton of violence in the, in the classic Cinderella, but, you know, when they come around to try the shoe on, do you guys know what happens? And it, it, it doesn't fit the stepsisters. Right. And so one stepsister has to cut off her big toe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the other one cuts off part right. of her heel. Yeah. And uh, and as the tree, there's yeah. no fairy godmother, but the tree right, tells right. Yeah, the yeah. prince, like, oh, no, there's blood in the shoe. See, that can't be the right person. Exactly. Uh, blood in the shoe may also refer to, you know, maturation. She's growing up. I mean, there's different there are different themes. People, you know, if you get very psychoanalytic, if you read Bruno Bettelheim and, and, and the psychoanalysts on fairy tales, you can take a little bit of a different twist on some things. But the reality is, here she is. People will do desperate things to try to be a genuine self, and they still can't stop her from it coming out and winning the day in the end. Yeah. That's a basic um, overview, and, and that is a human condition, a developmental need through culture. I mean, it's it's human. It's cross-cultural. So these stories, just like a hero's journey type idea, keep popping up. Hansel and Gretel is great. I mean, that's actually my favorite fairy tale, to be perfectly honest. I've read many, and um, it's my favorite for a few reasons, partly because I have a daughter. 
And uh, a lot of people are concerned with the lack of, you know, good feminine role models and things like, well, comic books and uh, Oh, don't worry. Thor is a woman now. Thor is a woman now? Yeah. In which version? In the Marvel comic book universe. Yeah. Oh, oh we can a, talk about that Okay. I, wow, I didn't even know that. Yeah. Um, Spoiler alert. <laughs> and Captain America is now something different. Too. Well, hopefully he's transgendered at least. I don't know. But I'm um, just kidding. Um, you know, yeah. I mean, there's a playing with those characters. Um, Hansel and Grell. So should we walk through it? Sure. You guys, yeah. you guys are familiar with yes. the uh, Grimm version at least? I mm-hmm. just read it yesterday. Mm-hmm. Okay, so so what we know there's a there's there are actually a couple different grim versions even that have slight differences. In one, it, the biological mother's alive, and in another, the biological mother's dead. But um, we have a stepmother, and the idea is here: you have this little. They're in this um, Eden-like setting. They're with their family, right? And uh, they're being taken care of. It's their children. So Hansel and Gretel are children. They're at home, and uh, things don't go well. And what happens is the children get sacrificed. So they're laying in bed. They hear uh, mom and dad talking about the fact that uh, we just can't have these kids around anymore. We have no now, more food. We have no more food. And so we've got to get rid of them. So they take them into the woods. Uh, Hansel's a pretty resilient guy, and he realizes that uh, the moon is going to be out. And if I have these shiny rocks, I can drop them along the path. So they go out, and they kind of test the big bad world. And they're able to conquer it and come back to their home, back to their childhood. Okay, that didn't work. Uh, argue, argue, argue. We're going to do it again. Send them back out. Same thing. They come back. The third time now, Hansel uh, has this figured out, but the problem is he doesn't have any rocks. They kind of catch him before he's able to collect the rocks. So they were given a, a bit of bread, and so he he uses that. And so we all know what happens. What happens? Birds come, and they yeah. eat the bread. Can't find your way back. Right. So now they really are stuck. I'll just, along the way, kind of throw in my interpretation of things. Now they've left this uh, protective childhood, okay? So childhood at home isn't always what it's cracked up to be. Sometimes parents fight and argue. Sometimes we have, um, you know, problems where there's no food or whatever our challenges are. But it's a safe place generally for kids, and now they they can't even get back there. So now they're really on their own, and uh, they decide to strike out and try the world together. Hansel is really pretty much in charge, and, and Gretel is following along. And they come to a house in the woods. Ah, oh, they're saved, right? So the house in the woods, I believe, kind of represents some of the uh, illusions of, of safety and competency that are out there in the world. And in fact, the person that answers the door, I mean, they're greedy. The kids are young, they're immature, and they're greed. They just tear into this house. So they just take whatever they can take from the world. And, uh, I mean, it's a silly thing, right? This is a story. They're eating a house. It's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. You know, why would a kid get into that? Because it represents the child's feeling of, I've just got to have it. I've just got to have it. I've got to take care of myself. I've got to be okay. It's that greed that we have to overcome as children. If you Have you ever taken your kids to Disneyland and, like, churros are, like, 18 bucks? And, you know, if you want a Mickey ears, <laughs> you've got to get a mortgage. And I mean, it's expensive. And the kids are just like, oh, I want this, I want that, and I want this. And that's not because they're bad kids. That's just how kids are. And so when you're thrown out on your own, kids, you know, they're using the skills that they have, which... Greed, which are annoyance and badgering. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, uh, I find ahead. it very interesting yeah. the that we talk about the house and it's made of cakes and gingerbread mm-hmm. and everything. Right. It is the the sweets and everything, and what chased them out in the first place was a lack of food. And so now they've come to this house, this 
and you talked about it representing safety and representing everything they're wanting. Right. And the fact that it's made up of what it was that they didn't have beforehand. A lot of times... And like, they know that's why they got kicked out of the right. house because yeah. they heard their they parents' heard the argument. And how often, I mean, how often do we, you know, as soon as something goes wrong, immediately rush to the other, as soon as we see the other side of something different, mm-hmm. you know, or, or something that would fulfill that need, we rush to it mm-hmm. and immediately start to consume on that or whatever. I always found that very interesting with with this story. You know, why why bother making the house out of gingerbread and out of candy right. or whatever? It didn't make any sense other than, you know, it's a good kid trap, but there's a reason it's a good kid trap for these two kids. Yeah, it's exactly what they didn't have. And I'll even take it one step further, which is a risk in talking to me because I like to do that. But uh, <laughs> we'll take it one step further and we'll say, but it's false at the same time. It's sweets. Now, back in the day, they they did know that vegetables and things were better for you than, than sugar, even back when these stories started to be happening and so it's a kid trap but more than that it's it's what they really needed was substantive food and they didn't have it and so they've been abandoned so when when childhood runs out you got to go out and be on your own that's what's happened here and so then they find they're trying to recapture that childhood like a kid they would go after the sweets instead of the substantive food right Mm-hmm. And then yeah. Jeremy Renner gets diabetes. I know. <laughs> it's right? a horrible tragedy. No, it's, I can't believe they predicted that. Wow. Um, and, uh, but that's a great observation. Uh, absolutely. And, and the food itself is, is greedy and immature. I mean, it's a Ryan, child. You, you just version. earned yourself another six months on this podcast. Yes. Yeah. Excellent insight. Yes. Perfect. <laughs> Um, whereas, uh, Matt Woolley's not coming back, but, uh, <laughs> uh, then, then who comes out to, to greet them and, and offer them help, but a mother figure. I mean, why isn't it a horrible ogre or, uh, some other sort of monster? Have you ever thought of that? Well, it, it, the mother's, it, so the, the food is why they got chased out and the mother or stepmother is who chased them out. Right, right. right. And then they, yeah, so you get the food, you're replacing that, but not with good stuff. And then we're replacing that mother figure. More more broadly, it's a parent to take care of them. Right. Again, they're out in the big world. They need somebody to take care of them. They're going to eat some sweets. And, oh, we got grandma here. It's like, come on in, kitties. And you know, grandma's going to take, okay, we don't have to grow up yet. We don't have to be, we don't have to be independent, what a psychoanalyst would call an individuated adult who can take care of their own stuff. You guys ready for my right-wing propaganda? <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> Hello, Maybe. federal government. All right, Bring continue. It. That was it. Oh, 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 I got it. Okay, got it. Okay. <laughs> it took me a second. Um, I think I'm going to high chew high. Um, <laughs> anyway, so where we're going with this is quickly we find out that these things that represent the world, the sugar, uh, the, the, the temptations of the world, the sugar so we can be young and immature and be greedy, uh, the mother figure that's supposed to take care of us, we quickly find out this isn't all it's cracked up to be. In fact, we've stumbled into something that is pulling us down. It's not allowing um, them to be independent, safe on their own, is it? So Hansel's a knucklehead. He gets locked up. Uh, Gretel now is seen as not that big of a threat, obviously. So she's just made to do chores. Mm -hmm. So Gretel is kind of, you know, relegated to this position of kind of an immature, non-threatening female. But what does she do? planning right she's, she's planning scheming. so she actually gretel uh, anybody out there who's got a girl and you're worried about you know fairy tales being not being good for girls hey hang on for a second because gretel is a fantastic character 
because she is relegated, because she's given this like traditional, non-threatening, um, non-powerful female role, she starts using two things, her brain and then her brawn. She's tough in both ways. She's like the first super heroine. Not that heroin, sounds yeah. terrible. That, does, that didn't sound good. All right. <laughs> but for an eight ball. We'll just move forward. And uh, so what she does is she, she plans ahead, and she figures out ways to uh, trick the the world, to, to use her uh, intelligence to trick the witch through using a bone. And, and, of course, the witch, I guess, is so dense that she can't figure out the difference between skin and bone. And so she's feeling this bone, and she's like, oh, he's not getting fat enough yet while she's planning along. Eventually... She takes things into her own hands, you know, tricks her, hey, come over here, check this out. I don't think I can do it. Oh, I'm such a weak female. You know, I, I don't know how to do this. And then the witch comes over and she pushes her in the oven, shuts the door, end of the witch. Now, that's where a lot of parents go, okay, that's not cool. Somehow the witch has got to be okay. And in the end, they'll make friends and, and ride unicorns back over to their original homeland because, well, everybody has to be okay. And that's where parents get upset. And that's why I named it the darker, the better, because the truth is, no, the witch has to die. The witch has to die because we're no longer actually talking about a human being. We are talking about a representation of what Hansel and Gretel have to overcome. If they don't literally kill it, if they don't overcome it for real and permanently, then they stay in that childlike state for the rest of their lives. Failure to launch, they're immature 50-year-olds who have never felt powerful in their lives. Does that make sense? It makes sense to me. I think it fits so it fits so nicely into a number of things. You look at, I mean, if, if I were to take Hansel and Gretel in that section and break it into a another example, um, the the one that I read, the witch was blind, you know, and yeah, and you can simply say that, uh, you know, that's representative that if you're if you're talking about that the witch is the world, well, she's and, generally blind. I meant that she was blind. She was just dense. Yeah, figure it out. If if the witch is representative of the world or, or kind of that, it's indiscriminate as to who it takes in. Uh, you know, you you bite on you you take the bait, you bite, you end up caught, or you end up being a servant to to right. this indiscriminate force. Mm-hmm. And the only way you're going to get out of it is to overcome using brain, brawn, teamwork, whatever you want to do there. You know, and this you can you can apply that to things like uh, debt. Sure. Uh, I mean, this the beauty of these stories is they they can apply to so many different aspects. Absolutely. So as schooling, an, employment, you know, and as a, yeah. if you can teach your kids to be able to insert X in place of you know the witch here or whatever, and understand that you know, oh yeah, you you may want that new car, you know, when you you know when you turn sixteen or whatever. But but what's it actually going to cost? That's going to put you in the you know you're going to be Hansel right. in this cage and you're going to be sitting there and it's going to consume you if you don't figure out a better way to handle this. Yeah, um, Carl Jung talked about the anima and the animus mm-hmm. and those are two you know uh, female and male kind of traits and versions of of an individual. Um, in some interpretations of this, you may want to think of Hansel and Gretel actually as one person. Because a, a version of us wants to be greedy, and a version of us will end up getting caught by that. But we also have to believe that the other version of us, can in this case out. the female version, it, it can use their intelligence, can use their strength, both emotionally and physically, to overcome the obstacles that are seemingly impossible to overcome. These are children. One's locked up in a cage. I mean, your kids are going to be wrapped up into this story when... Um, when I read, when we we do a lot of uh, books and movies and all this kind of stuff in my house, and we love it, but 
it's very different when my kids have been little and I've read them the actual fairy tales, the, these classics. They're they're connected. They're they're into it in a very personal way. They're really into the story. They don't want you to stop, even if it's the language is old fashioned and all these sorts of things. Because of that element, that that danger, the real danger to the character that they're now invested in is real and it's permanent. And if they don't kill the witch, they're never going to have the outcome that the kids are wanting them to have in that moment when they're reading it. So a parent might look at that as, oh, it's violent. Oh, it's teaching killing. Really? Um, What it's teaching is the children are connected to it. They're understanding it better than we are most of the time. That's my feeling as as an adult. Even myself who is into this and I think about it and talk about it and teach about it, um, I have to remind, you know, remind myself what what is their experience more than what's my experience. So the cool thing is then Gretel's the the hero. She's able to uh, you know, get Hansel out of the out of the cage. She saves him. So it's a great female role model. She uses her intelligence and her strength. Uh, in this case, if, if you're worried about Cinderella and your little girls, there's no beauty involved here. We don't know if uh, Gretel was a particularly attractive child or not. I do. Uh, I saw the movie. You saw? Oh, well, yeah, that version. She was quite, yeah. But um, and and then what do they do? So that's where most people think the story ends. So what do you guys have read it recently? What what else happens? Well, then they collect all the jewels out of the witch's house. Yeah, all of a sudden there's this vase of riches right. and treasure. <laughs> right, and right, right. They can right. go back to their dad. Yeah, and how do they get there? Yeah. Oh. Do you remember? No, no, I don't it's remember. It's kind of weird. They, like it's it seems out of context. You're reading the I, story. I remember a they, white bird. Or I remember like they, they pass a tree with a white bird in it, which you know, this must be a thoroughly Christianized uh Germany by now. <laughs> Probably. Um but yeah, they, they, what uh well, what was it, it? They they ride a white swan across a oh, river. That's right, the right? duck. Yeah, yeah, or the duck. Or the it swan, depends whatever. on who which version. Swan's better, you got more neck to hang on yeah, to. Yeah, <laughs> ducks are kinda of small. But I mean that doesn't even make sense. So were kids back in the day and people telling these stories just like total totally off their rocker? I mean, white you know, you can't ride a duck. Two kids can't ride a white duck. <laughs> or even a white swan. That's gotta be the biggest swan you ever saw. And why are they riding a swan across a river? Okay, so well, so isn't that uh, we, we just talked about? They they had to go into the forest, which is the real world, mm-hmm. and now they're leaving that forest, and that's the border. They they're the, crossing mm-hmm. back into uh, the safe haven. Right. And let's back up for a second. Is Tell me about death? the jewels. Why didn't they pack? I mean, what what are these kids needing? They're needing food. Mm-hmm. So why aren't they packing up? Like they can have all the pancakes and gingerbread that they want now. Because those go clean bad, out, right? Clean out the bad witch smell out of the oven. You could just live in the house and <laughs> totally. Eat. I mean, they actually um, don't have to go anywhere. They they probably should be fairly ticked at their parents, right? Because the parents are like tried to kill them mm-hmm. and abandon them in the forest. So Hansel and Gretel are kind of like, hey, why not just hang out here? Or if we are going to go back, what got us in trouble in the first place was this food. Now we, it's all ours. So there's no more mention of food after that. Why? Why do they go for jewels? Well, the jewels are incorruptible they can they'll last longer they will buy food they will oh, buy yeah, what but they kids, need, i mean right? what do kids the kids what do they care kids about are morons. Yeah, they, bright what do they and shiny care and <laughs> yeah these kids are starving why i don't know well i mean you guys are it's a good it's a good thing to mull over in my opinion they're not after food anymore because they've now conquered their challenge they the hero has conquered the you know, the the villain, if you want to look at it that way. They've now matured, 
And what they've done is they've taken something that has value to an adult, jewels. This is an adult value, sugar, candy, that's a child's value, right? Now they go I around. Know it was mine. They, they, yeah, well, me too still. But um, they, they gather up the jewels and they ride the white swan. The white swan, it, most people w- would agree, I think, that it represents victory, you know, purity. It's conquering. And they're crossing a river, which is they come back to a uh, – to know what the river is, you have to know what they do when they cross it. Always crossing a body of water in most stories represents you, what? Some change. Death, yes, change, usually. transcendence. They've, they've gone on to something bigger and better. Um, and so that's they're, they're crossing this body of water, this river, riding a white swan, usually represents victory. It has wings like freedom, all that kind of stuff. And they save their dad. Stepmother is dead. Okay? If you're a stepmom, I'm sorry. But it really isn't a stepmom. What's happened is their, their pure version of themselves they save. So you can think of it as, oh, they come back and they have the jewels and they live happily ever after now with their dad. Mm, that's a little concrete. What I think is happening here is those elements, uh, they, they save their adult self, basically. The, 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 bio, the dad is the biological parent in the version that, that most of us read. And they save that self. It's an extension of who they are. Now they've come back. They're in charge. They have the jewels. They've crossed this into a new level of life and they take over so whether you want to look at it as they are now the mature ones taking care of their father who's kind of a a louse i guess or the way i prefer to think of it is the father isn't actually the father at this point in the story it's a projection of them as adults they've now individuated or become a fully functioning adult who can take care of themselves and they've gone into this new level of life they become the father uh, yes. This is getting all theological. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, but, that, I mean, that to me, you, Hansel and Gretel is such a great fairy tale because it goes from childhood to a fully competent, functional adulthood. And even though you have challenges along the way, people that should take care of you lead you down the wrong path. They say, say they'll care for you, but they abandon you. Uh, you, as a immature young adult, are going to be looking for opportunities to save yourself, and if you give in to your greed and your childlike needs, it's not going to work out well. You're going to get trapped by a cannibalistic witch. So you Which would look suck. out for that, right? You know, I can personally attest how bad that sucks. Oh, well, that may be a story for another time. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. yeah, we are running out of time, unfortunately. Um, but uh, so, so back, just back to the final comment, okay. just, the, just the, the fear, the violence that's happening there. I just challenge parents. Um, one thing I said in, in that seminar that we did was, um, know your kid. I mean, you know, I mean, everything has limits. If you have a child with an anxiety disorder, they're really prone to bad nightmares. You'd be judicious, you know. I mean, maybe you don't want to read them uh, a particularly upsetting story right at bedtime. My point is, rarely will these really be upsetting. These are these aren't just for bedtime stories. That's a fine time to read them. These are stories for any time in the day. They have a lot of value. You're probably going to be a little more worried about it, but watch your child's reaction because what they're doing is they're connecting with these are their own challenges right now in story form. And because there's a fantasy element, because there is an intense emotional element, they're hooked. They're connected. You're speaking their language. If you lecture them on avoiding debt when they grow up and they're eight, Oh, man, unless you have the most obedient kid in the world, they're not going to sit through that very long, right? (laughs) So you're not going to get anywhere teaching them that sort of a lesson. In fact, I think we become more concrete as adults 
thinking that because there's uh, the death of the witch in the story, we're teaching our kids about murder and violence. Absolutely not. I think we're finally speaking their language when we get into things like fairy tales and fantasy stories and allow the child to benefit, actually, from the fact that there are scary elements because life is freaking scary when you're a kid and as an adult half the time. You know, are you going to are you going to have the the ability to overcome your own challenges? And I think the culmination of uh, allowing children to enjoy these uh, books and stories throughout their childhood does create this um, power uh, to become a healthy adult. And I would say that, you know, you, you shouldn't have to. And I think based on your history and your family and Ryan, you guys would probably both agree with me. You don't have to shunt off all the other stuff. Disney's great. We no, love Disney, Disney's you know, and yeah. and have the have the the great happy endings and and uh, feel good stories, but just don't necessarily sacrifice the time tested uh, value of mm-hmm. of you know what's been around. Well, if if nothing else, one of the things I've kind of taken from this is these fairy is to revisit these as an adult actually and mm-hmm. kind of you know pull some of those lessons that you may not you know you may not have caught because you don't. You know, as a child, they were different to you then. They'll mean different things to you now. I'll tell you what, it's a lot easier than reading 1,008 pages of The Lord of the Rings. That is very true. <laughs> Just ask Ryan. Yeah, and I I love fairy tales. I love these stories. And I believe as an adult, there are a lot of lessons that we can learn from them. Because how often would we love to take whatever situation we're in, place it in a fantasy story, see how it works out, and then go on that. And then and then we'll, you know, make our decisions. And then we'll do those big mm-hmm. life decisions. These these fairy stories are great because they are already there are examples that already exist of people who've gone through that. You just have to find the story that fits you. Mm -hmm. Um, the Hansel and Gretel, the Cinderella or whatever. Um, there is one, I don't know how familiar you are and I I don't want to take a ton of time with it, but, um, there is a, a musical that they're doing a movie of, uh, called into the woods. Um, basically brings all these fairy tale characters, characters together. And a lot of people hate this musical. A lot of special, uh, actors and stuff, not only because it's Sondheim and it's difficult. I just hate music. all singing and joy, so <laughs> I don't think I'm going to enjoy it. But they hate this musical because Act One, everyone has a wish, everyone has something that they want, and you go through all the fairy stories, Cinderella finding her prince, and they everyone gets everything they want in Act One. In Act Two, it all falls apart, and the show ends with everyone paying the consequences for their wish. That's where it ends. It's completely different than any than any other sort of mm-hmm. story, and I really I'm kind of. I'm interested to go back now and revisit it and look at it again, having had this discussion about the idea of, of the consequences that exist beyond mm-hmm. the end of a, you know, yeah. that, that happy ending that we tend to cut fairy tales off at. Here, here. That's interesting. Yeah, I'm familiar with that, but I haven't actually um, been to it. So, I'll, yeah, I'm, I'll be interested to, to see that as well. I actually think you bring up a great point, Ryan, which is um, adults are... Any adult, I mean, you know, that's pretty comprehensive, but any adult that I've spoken to who I have challenged to go back and read these classic fairy tales have said something like, I was surprised how much I enjoyed those. And it's maybe similar to your acting class where it's an opportunity to go back and connect with those elements so our younger selves. You know, when we, if you're an adult like me, you've been watching Star Wars nonstop since 1977. So maybe it doesn't apply to me. But for many people who who stop reading fairy tales, watching fantasy, reading fantasy, and they come back to those things, um, they enjoy them immensely because it's a connection that 
we didn't know we had, and I think valuable for adults uh, nowadays. Yeah. Well, good. I uh, I think we better wrap it up there because I'm looking and yeah, we're over an hour now. Wow. <laughs> Uh, that actually good went remarkably fast. Yeah, good discussion makes time fly. Well, thanks for having That's me, ridiculous. guys. I appreciate it. Uh, yeah, it's not ridiculous that you came on. It's ridiculous <laughs> how fast that went. No, I'm very happy that you came on, uh, Matt. And we'll, with your consent, definitely have you on again because oh, I want to take yeah. this this discussion and, and start applying it to... Uh, well, something else. And well, and maybe we can just go talk about comic books because that's fun too. We can it, do that. I could, I could bend your ear for a while. <laughs> I'm excited considering I, I, I told Craig this and I think we may have talked about it on the last podcast. I actually, I, I did a thing off my bucket list. I went into a comic book store and I bought a brand new comic. Yeah. It's still in the, I'd never done that before. Still in the uh-huh. wrap and everything. I just wanted to have that experience and I went okay. and I did it and I bought Nightwing, which apparently I'm like, you know, halfway through a series or whatever. But yeah. the fact is... The I new read, 52? Yeah. Yep. I went through and I, I read through it and I enjoyed it. And yep. I, I can see why why this is an enjoyable medium. We should talk about it more in the future. Okay. Oh, Definitely. Yeah. We'll yeah. do. I would love to. Well, let's, uh, yeah, let's wrap it up. Thanks again, Matt. Um, Ryan, we will uh, be back here presumably next week. And uh, we'll see everybody at Comic-Con on September 6th. One o'clock. Come see our live theater thing unless we change the time. Peace. Hey everybody, thank you so much for listening to the Legendarium Podcast. Make sure you take a minute to subscribe to us on iTunes and now on Stitcher Radio. Like us on Facebook and check out our fantastic website at thelegendariumpodcast.com.